Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. It's been a while since we put out a podcast, so we wanted to get out some information to you and do one of those State of the Union podcasts today. We'll be talking today with your MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, Vice Chairman Joe Youngerman, or Scheduling Committee Chairman Scott Rubin, and introducing, at least here on the podcast, the new negotiating chairman, Dave Wellham. Thanks, everyone, for joining. So David will talk about some of the things that has been going on in the negotiating committee, uh, specifically the uniform, deadhead crew meal ordering, and jump seat agreement. Joe will be talking to us about some issues around retirement and insurance, and Scott Rubin will update you on PBS implementation and what's being done to ensure the CBA is followed when it comes to your trades. So, Will, let me toss to you and have a, another kind of introduction, as you often do. Thanks, David. Yeah, like you said, it's been a little bit since we've had a podcast recording, and we do want to t- talk a little bit about some of the issues that we know are out there and in discussion, as well as some of these things that have moved forward recently. And while it may have been some time, it doesn't mean that we haven't been busy. Obviously, we're continuing to monitor the rest of the industry. And as we get close to that end of summer and when that market rate adjustment language might change our pay rates, that's become a topic of conversation. As you know, contractually, we will receive a 4% bump in our pay rates, but there is language that also governs a market rate adjustment. And as we get close to the end of the summer, we're starting to hear from pilots about it. We are seeing movement in the industry with recent deals at Delta, Hawaiian, JetBlue, And we now have agreements in principle at American and FedEx. And uh, we do definitely hope that these deals meet their pilots' needs. Uh, And we are just continuing to monitor very closely what's happening at American Southwest and United as they are included in the market rate adjustment formula. Yeah, and well, perhaps before we get too much further down that discussion, talking about the actual language of how this works might be valuable. uh, That our pay rates will increase by the greater of 4% or the average of the top of scale narrow-bodied captain rate at American, Delta, United, Southwest, and JetBlue. And some people who are thinking about the contract in their mind may remember that there was a bit of a carve-out for JetBlue that it would only be included if they had new pay rates, and they do have new pay rates, so they are included. And just for one more point of clarification, these airlines, it's the average of their narrow-bodied captain rates. And and obviously, the full language anyone can read in Section 3, Paragraph 4. Yeah, thanks, David. I think that's important to take a look at the language, and that is the strict language. But I think also it's important to note that when we negotiated that language, it was the obvious intent of the language that our pilots would keep up with the industry as we saw the industry move. And we did have to pick a date to pin this market rate adjustment on, and it seemed to make the most sense that the anniversary date of the effective date was was logical. Uh, the MEC hears from pilots all the time that there's concerns with the agreements at Southwest and United being uncertain, and that perhaps the state misses the mark. You know that we would be left behind. Uh, but I think there's some important facts to consider. Um, Attrition is indeed surpassing last year's numbers, and we do again find that they have a substantial leak in the tub just as quickly as they're trying to fill it. And they have growth plans on the table, and until they can fix that problem, they're not going to be able to execute on those growth plans effectively. And so I think that the attrition matters, and I think that they're looking at uh, September with that in mind. Our discussions with management have noted that this is only going to get worse 
as pilots see better opportunities to advance their careers. And as we all know, wages are an important component of that. But I think it is important to note also that so far, any discussions right now on the market rate adjustment are informal and frequent, but uh, they'll take a more formal push as we see how the industry moves and as we get closer to September. That's encouraging to hear, Will. You know, I, I will say one of the things I hear out online occasionally is that maybe it was a mistake to go first. Well, certainly we heard those concerns, you know, at the time that we were doing road shows and considering the, the vote on the agreement in principle that became our CBA. And I, I think it was important to note, and I'll say the same thing that I did then, which was that every other priority that we had articulated um, and that we'd seen in polling that all the pilot priorities had largely been achieved. And we achieved the pay rate that we could at the time, but we felt it was very important to put in a, a component, as Joe would call it, fire insurance, to ensure that if the market moved after we reached an agreement that we would move with it. Yeah, well, I think it's worth noting that a lot of the airlines that are on this comparator, they're still negotiating their new rates and they're forced to have the old pay rates that they've had for, for years now. Yeah, I think that's a great point, David. You know, as as our EVP, I spend a fair amount of time out in D.C. And having recently attended the United Picket event in San Francisco, I heard a lot from the uh, United pilots about their, their frustrations that they're you know, continue to lag behind the rest of us, those that ha of us that have a, been able to achieve a new CBA, they're still languishing with their old language. Uh, we also have heard a lot of, you know, thank yous from from carriers that uh, have since negotiated their their CBAs that we sort of broke that log jam and enabled them to move forward. And, and in every negotiating cycle, somebody's got to go first. And you make the decisions you make based on the information that you have at the time. And I I think, uh, you know, based on the information we had at the time, we acted correctly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're benefiting from that move. Uh, we'll continue to benefit. Our snap up will make sure that as, as the tide rises, we will rise with it. Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll add too that this contract wasn't all about pay. And so had we waited, we'd be all of this time without the durable scope language, for example, and uh, that would not protect us the way it is now. Um, a lot of the scheduling improvements w wouldn't be happening. We'll, we'll talk to Ruben about those later, but um, all of that, I think, came into factor in deciding when to say, when to move the ball forward and accept yeah. it as a tentative agreement. Yeah, the pilots told us when to move the ball forward. Right. We had a lot of language, and as you point out, there's a great deal of uh, priorities and value that are in the work rules piece of it. And I think it's interesting. I was at the table, obviously, when we negotiated, and I've heard these things. We had these debates about when is the right time, when is everything done, looking very carefully at the polling and recognizing that uh, not only were we there, but that it was very important that we protect ourselves. If the industry moves, we move with it. And that's what the market rate adjustment is all about. And as we keep kind of saying, there's an intent to that language. And we'll press the intent if the actual math doesn't bring us to where the intent was supposed to bring us. Well, speaking of negotiations, it's maybe a good time to introduce our new negotiating committee chairman, Dave Willem. Dave, welcome aboard. And, you know, I say welcome, but you've been around for quite a while, actually doing a lot of, of good work for our association that's sometimes in the background. So maybe if you want to introduce yourself and kind of where you came from. I, yeah, thank you, uh, David. 
I'm uh, quite excited to be on board here on the negotiating side now after uh, several years working with the Grievance Committee, uh, first at uh, Virgin America, then uh, the combined uh, MECs, Virgin and uh, Alaska, then the last few years working purely with the Alaska CBA. So we're excited to be uh, assembling this new uh, negotiating committee. Myself, uh, Israel Young, and Justin Albright Got a fantastic group uh, with lots of uh, lots of union experience or volunteer experience, I should say. With uh, Justin has some significant experience with PBS, which will be huge in our implementation process that we're working on right now. And uh, Israel Young, with his uh, LEC time, is one of our better communicators with the reps out there right now. And that's kind of what we're tasking him with right now to really to keep the communication chain open between us and the MEC. Um, but other than that, uh, our, our focus right now is implementation. Um, reserve system will be coming in here in the not too distant future, followed by uh, PBS, both uh, very large uh, impacts on the CBA. And uh, we're spending a lot of time right now focusing on how we're going to uh, pull those into the contract and make sure we don't miss any loose ends. And we're also uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that the company is giving us to, uh, to make some minor improvements here and there that, uh, that, uh, that are available to us. It may go without saying, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. I think coming out of the grievance committee is, is a great way to enter into negotiations because you become familiar not only with the contract, but where it maybe could be shorn up a little bit, what, what uh, what's working well, what isn't. So it's I think you're going to be a great addition to the committee, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. Great. Thank you. Dave, there was some big news out of your committee recently with the new uniform, and I'm looking forward to hearing you discuss that. But before we do, I want to go back. I think a lot of pilots that we have here on property now weren't around when the new uniform started. And but Joe, you were. So could you give us a recap of what went down in those days and and why it has taken this long to come to a new uniform agreement? Sure. You know, this goes back several years. It's been actually a lot of mileage since all of this started between then and now. And and really what it came down to was the company was moving headlong into making major changes to our uniform, essentially ignoring uh, Section 26S of the CBA that says that we have the right to to approve a new uniform. And they were sort of uh, moving forward as if that was a foregone conclusion that we were going to be okay with it. Uh, in fact, not even showing us what they in, the changes they intended to make until sort of the, the 11th hour of the process. And subsequently, the, the MEC at the time, of course, it's it's changed a bit since then. But we uh, we had a, a number of concerns about uh, the uniform and the uniform change, and it came down to uh, to taking legal action to stop it. And uh, the company did finally relent. And you know, we've we've been busy doing some other things along the way. There's been some starts and stops. Uh, with trying to get this discussion going, but it's taken a more serious note over the last, say, six months or so. And, uh, you know, now we've, we've gotten to a point where we've, we've reached an agreement, which, of course, David can speak to. Yeah, and Joe, I think that was an important event. I mean, it, it really showed management that this MEC was willing to fight for the contract wherever it was violated. That's absolutely right, David. That's a good point because, you know, we had some questions at the time, you know, are the uniforms really that important? Why are we making such a big deal of it? And, you know, it was obviously, of course, the uniforms were part of it, but more than anything, you know, we're going to staunchly defend our CBA. We fought hard for it and we're going to defend it and we're always going to do that. 
Yeah, and it was, you know, we knew we'd be leading into negotiations soon and, and we needed to set the tone with this management team that we were serious about protecting our rights and protecting the priorities that the pilots were sending to their MEC. Correct. And I think that's the important part is that we heard along the way pilot priorities on this issue. Yeah, we heard loud and clear from the pilot group what, what was really important when it came to the uniform, uh, you know, namely being cost. We wanted the company to, to pick up the burden of the cost, and that, that's included in this agreement. Uh, we also will have an upkeep for the uniform. Every, uh, every year you'll have an allowance to upkeep pieces of the uniform and replace pieces that need to be replaced. And additionally, uh, the company will also be allowing expensing of alterations to the uniform pieces that you get. And uh, there'll be a cap on that also, but uh, but again, this will allow the pilots to keep that uniform in, a, in good condition and at no cost to the pilot. You know, additionally, uh, choice, that was uh, clearly, clearly said loudly by all the pilots uh, in the initial go around at least. And uh, choice is going to be included also where we have the option between colors of shoes, which obviously was one of the bigger, bigger gripes early on. So brown shoes or black shoes, uh, the black leather jacket will still be an option depending upon which, uh, which direction you go with, with your, uh, shoe colors. Um, additionally hats, uh, optional hats for the duration of the agreement and also the uh, status quo period into our next agreement. And, uh, again, that was a, a priority of the pilot group. Oh, and don't don't forget shirts either. That was something that I think is very personal to most pilots, being able to choose a shirt, either the uniform provided shirt or one of, of their own choice. We certainly heard that loud and clear. Um, and we, we've retained that. Everything fits differently for each person. Dave, one of the issues, and I think a real pain point for pilots, was just the hassle of getting the uniform and getting fitted for the uniform. How is that being addressed? And what can pilots look forward to? Yeah, the rollout's going to be, you know, about 10 to 12 months. So we're expecting to be in the uniform likely by the 1st of June of uh, 2024. Um, there'll be about a six to eight week period where the company will have uh, fitting centers or places where you can choose your uniform pieces at, at every domicile. And uh, those will be intact again for about six to eight weeks. Um, after that, ongoing fittings and alterations, uh, if you choose, can be done at the hub in Seattle. So that's just uh, off the airport there at the, at the company's uh, headquarters or next to it, at least. One other important thing to note, too, this agreement does formally sunset MOU 1705 that was a provision to allow the legacy Virgin Pilots to wear an alternate uniform. So on the go forward, uh, this is the new uniform of the Alaska Pilots. So Dave, another new issue is the deadhead crew meal ordering. You want to fill us in on that one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, This is clearly a system that was broken um, when the company moved to a uh, pre-order system for all the uh, passengers. And this agreement will just make it easier to for a pilot who is scheduled a deadhead to assure that they have a meal available to them um, that where they pre-order the meal. And just like a passenger would using the PNR system um, on the app on their phone or on their computer, and they can reserve a meal, a meal, um, and have it available for their deadhead. Uh, it still does not prevent a pilot from just picking and choosing from available food on a flight if there is anything available, but this just ensures that the fresh food that is pre-ordered by the passengers will be also available for that, that particular pilot on his deadhead. And I know the been questions come up about the need to put a credit card on file. Can you explain that? 
Yeah, this is that was kind of a long fought battle also, and and it just came down to needing a credit card to hold that reservation. Uh, the credit card will not be charged. Um, there is language just to ensure that if somehow it were accidentally charged, um, you, you'll get that money back, obviously. But uh, it, it, this is the way this, the, the the limitations on the system itself just require that credit card to be there to hold that hold that meal option for you. Dave, one of the things I'm hearing here is pilots will have more choice when they're going on to their deadheads. It doesn't have to be the snack pack, for example. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, and we saw this in grievance, actually, you know, where pilots just weren't able to access any food in some cases or, you know, the, the contract is clear that uh, uh, that whatever's available to the passengers on a flight should be available to that deadheading pilot. And this agreement and the use of the credit card to hold that meal will ensure that that choice is available to the pilot. Okay. Finally, Dave, clarifying the jump seat listing process, that's been an ongoing issue. And I think you've done some work on that recently as well. Yeah, this is some new language um, in the recently uh, ratified CBA, the 2022 agreement, uh, where pilots had the means to electronically list for the jump seat under uh, Section 9D5. Um, so that that is available now. It's going to ensure that the uh, load planners have access to the numbers of intended jump seaters, and it'll also provide the names to the pilots operating the flight in the jetpack so they can see who who they are expecting to, to list for the jump seat. Um, additionally, um, in this agreement, um, the jump seaters now, if you were to encounter a, a weight-restricted flight, the if you're listed as a jump seater and you take the jump seat, you would be the, the last to be removed as a non-rev. So the jump seaters effectively would have uh, priority in those weight-restricted conditions over other non-rev passengers. Before we get off that topic of, uh, of jump seats, even though that's not really what we're talking about here, we do hear from pilots occasionally that we're still having process problems with both being able to list in for a, a seat in the back as well as the jump seat. Just a reminder to go back. If you look at our communications on that matter where we clarified it and finally got it set back to the way that it should be, um, we included the, the bulletin. That a must-read bulletin that was sent to the customer service agents, and pilots have that available to print and carry with them in case they run into, you know, commuting issues. Yeah, and I can link that in the show notes. All right, Dave. Well, those are all things that have been kind of ongoing, and you've done the the finishing work on them. I know you and your committee are working on current and new things. Can you tell us more about those? Yeah, yeah. Just kind of to re- reiterate, you know, we we're obviously focused pretty heavily on implementation for a reserve and uh, the reserve system and PBS coming down the road, and that's that's taking up a good chunk of our time. But uh, you know, one additional item um, to throw out there is a MOU twenty two hundred four, which is the uh, retirement contribution study. Uh, and, and this, the, really, what this focuses on is, is just acknowledging that there's a growing number of pilots that are reaching or or maybe even exceeding their IRS limits for. Uh, related to their retirement plans. And uh, this study is attempts to, uh, to, you know, find other options for, you know, tax qualified plans for our pilots. And, and this is an ongoing issue that, or an ongoing item that we are uh, currently working on, on the negotiating side. All right, David, thanks for coming in here and explaining all of those things. And, and as I'm talking to you, it makes me think of how these committees aren't static. They, they change and they evolve and, um, people come into those these positions and then they go back to their regular life and and new people have to come in and and 
I think, you know, there's been a great transition in the negotiating committee. We had a, a great one before, and I think we have a, a great one going forward. We've got a lot of other committees where the same sorts of things are 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 going to happen and, and need to happen. We've all been working really hard through this last negotiation cycle, and a lot of us, myself included, are looking to move on to other things in life, and these positions will need to be refilled. And so we are looking for people to, to take those positions. And we've even developed a new committee called the Volunteer Coordination Committee who can help pe put people who are, you know, have a, a particular skill set or desire to help in some way with a committee that needs them. And you can be in touch with them at volunteer, ALA, at alpa.org. That's an email address to, to get to them. And this, this is your union. It's really not run by a bunch of us in these offices. It's it's run by effectively everyone who comes into this profession. And so, you know, we and we need your help. I'm I'm talking to you who is listening to this podcast right now. We we need you to step up if you have any desire or interest or curiosity, please give us a call. Yeah, that's a great point, David. I you know, one of the things you hear a lot of I think most of us have been doing union volunteer work for quite some time. And one of the things you hear a lot out on the line is, you know, what's ALPA working on or is ALPA doing this or is ALPA doing that? And what's really important for everyone to remember is we are all ALPA. Every pilot here at Alaska Airlines, all of us are ALPA. And I hope that people don't feel like they can't get involved. We want you to get involved especially if you have there if there's a subject area that you're passionate about even if you haven't done any volunteer work in the past everybody starts somewhere at some time all of us at some point didn't have any experience with alpa volunteer work and and so you you start you've got to start somewhere and uh, previously we just had you know folks kind of if we asked for volunteers folks would respond to the to the email and it wasn't really a, a defined way of sort of finding places for those folks. And now with this new committee, I think we've got a more streamlined, more organized process to find people that want to volunteer and put them where their skills are going to be useful and where they're going to feel fulfilled with what they're doing. So I, I hope that, uh, you know, I, we realize that some folks are busy. They don't have the time to volunteer and that's fine. But if if you want to get involved, if you feel like you've got things to offer to this pilot group, you want to help your fellow pilots, by all means, reach out. Reach out and let us know. We'd, we'd love to have you. One of the things all of us do as volunteers, as we're working our way out of the process, as we reach the end of our, our time as, as volunteers, is we try to find someone to replace us. And it's not just here in Alaska, but at every carrier, that's probably one of the biggest challenges is, is you know, maintaining that volunteerism. And unionism doesn't work without it. So we, we definitely encourage you to, to get involved. All right, thanks, Joe. And let me just switch gears rather abruptly. I, I know um, we've had some communications recently about the changes to long-term care in Washington State and how the company's interacting with that. Um, I, I think it's worth spending some time talking about that here today to the entire pilot group, and, and we'll get into why that's the case. But if you could maybe break that down a little bit of, of what this is, um, what the change is, and how it may or may not affect pilots who live elsewhere besides Washington State. Right. I, I think, you know, we know there's some anxiety out there uh, with some pilots about the fact that, 
you know, the company put out this communication and said they they will now be be taxed for this long-term care insurance. And that stems back to a belief that the company had, we did not share it, that uh, the, that our pilots would be exempt from that and that they, you know, would, would not be affected by this tax. There's really no, no, uh, no suggestion that in our mind that that was going to be the case. And certainly that was true at Alpa National who fought very hard to fix some of the things that were wrong in this legislation, which, which started back in 2019 and has since been amended. Uh, Alpa also uh, went out of their way to set up a alternative private insurance plan who over 800 pilots were able to sign up for before the December 31st, 2022 deadline that would exempt them from this tax. Uh, it's really important to kind of pay attention to how this is uh, playing out not just for Washington-based pilots, but also for California-based pilots. There are two states, Washington, or, uh, excuse me, California and New York, that are also looking at this type of legislation. Uh, California will probably have it sooner rather than later, maybe as early as next year. And so I think there's, there's a learning curve here that we can all take advantage of and, and understand that you've got you've to pay attention to what's going on with this. And if you have like in the case of Washington State, if you had your own private insurance up until the end of last year, you could opt out. That deadline has passed. You can no longer opt out. But there are certain exemptions, such as uh, a pilot who lives in uh, New Jersey, who's based here in Seattle. He is not subject to that tax. He lives out of state. He's not subject to that tax. Or if your spouse or domestic partner is a full-time active duty service person, you can be uh, get an exemption from this tax. So there are certain exemptions. Of course, they're on the on the state's website. Uh, but understand that if you do file for an exemption and you are granted that extension exemption, excuse me, that there is a bit of a lag time where the where the uh, tax will stop being charged to you, and that's because the state does this on a quarterly billing cycle. So if you were if you were granted an exemption now, you wouldn't see that tax uh, to stop coming out of your paycheck until October, for example. So it's uh, it's frustrating. I think s some people feel like the company sort of uh, misled them. I don't think that was their intention, but I think the A4A, Airlines for America, and the company believed that there was a legal path to uh, for pilots to be exempt from this. And we just have not seen that in the courts uh, with state law or, or, or others uh, basically, you know, keeping us from having to pay that tax. So if this happens in California, it's going to be it's going to be the same situation all over again. So I would encourage pilots, whether they are living in Washington or California, or even if they're just commuting to those bases, pay close attention to this and have a plan. I know this may seem like a fresh issue to a lot of our pilots, but uh, those who are affected by it hopefully will remember that we had a number of communications go out on this when it happened, and it was it was a great concern to Alpa, um, not just us, but Delta has a base here too, so they were concerned at a national level. Joe, do you want to talk about what happened? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, this this has been talked about in executive council on more than one occasion. The Delta pilots were very concerned, obviously, as well. They have a they have a base here in Seattle, and uh, so both the the Delta MECs and ours uh, were immediately working with Alpa National Resources to try to shape this law in, in the most beneficial way for for our pilots. 
the results of that that coordination we saw with the uh, insurance product that Alpa was able to help uh, offer to to our pilots and to the Delta pilots that would uh, enable them to opt out. That was a heavy, heavy lift in such a short period of time. And National really came through for both pilot groups. Yeah, and, and so for those of us who did that, just just to be clear, we don't need to do it again. And But it, it may be worth just double checking that the company has that on file. That's correct. Uh, it's not something you have to do each year. If you've opted out and you've met the met the standard and been approved for it, then then you're good. Um, I would, unfortunately, we don't have uh, Shane Rebell uh, with us here today. He was not able to join us as the uh, RNI chairman. Uh, but if if you do have more questions, the the RNI committee can certainly uh, help you with those. And uh, you know, we want to make sure pilots are informed through our communications and you have resources you can reach out to if you have uh, additional questions. Don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And I won't belabor the point here, but you can go back and the last MEC update talked about what to do if you're in that case that you had the exemption and filed it with the company and just to make sure that they Correct. have it. So all of those Correct. details are on that and I'll link that in the show notes as well. All right. Well, at the top of the podcast, I mentioned that I'd bring in uh, Scott Rubin to talk about PBS implementation and and some of the other things that uh, a lot of us are facing out online, trip trading and and things like that. So, Scott, uh, how about uh, PBS? Let's have an update on the implementation process. Yeah, sure, David. Um, Just an update on the PBS. Uh, To date, we're on track for the implementation of our PBS. NavBlue, which is our PBS vendor, has begun work on programming our specific negotiated CBA items into their platform. Um, We have continued meetings with our joint PBS working group that includes uh, stakeholders from the company as well as our ALPA volunteers that provide feedback and to NavBlue on the programming of our CBA stuff as well as we're starting um, to develop the training materials um, that will go out to the pilots and and identify the resources we're going to need to train the pilot group on how to use um, the PBS when when we go live with it. And just as a reminder, you know, we'll go live with PBS in April of 2024, using it in that April month to bid for May of 2024. So we'll start mock bidding where pilots can practice uh, using the software and entering bids in February of 24. Uh, Right now, the plan is to have three rounds of uh, parallel or mock bidding, and then um, that'll end in the end of March 24, then in April, we'll use it for the May bid period. And I put all that in the latest scheduling summary, so if you wanna read it so you can see the dates, Maybe we can link that as well, David, in the show notes. Um, We'll start training our volunteer PBS instructors uh, in January of 2024. Um, Several of you have reached out to me and said, hey, I'd like to uh, help the pilot group learn how to use PBS. And I have your name on a list. And as we get closer, I'll be checking in with you. If that does interest you uh, to be a trainer of PBS and be in the airport showing pilots how to uh, use the system, um, feel free to shoot me an email at scott.rubin at elpa.org and I'll put you on the list. And as we get closer, I'll check in with you guys um, 
and, and make sure you still want to do it and, and how many volunteers we need, et cetera. So um, that's where we're at with the PBS stuff. All right. Thanks, Scott. Well, let's move on to trip trading. That's something that we've been hearing a lot of from the pilots of you know, varying degrees of, of frustration with their ability to trade trips. And I, I know this is certainly right in your wheelhouse. So how is that going and what, what issues are you seeing? Well, you know, I, I will say that I share the frustration uh, with our pilots. Um, I work closely with our scheduling for volunteers and we get feedback from pilots almost daily that a, a trade that or a drop that a pilot submitted and they felt should have gone through, didn't go through, or just getting consistent, reliable results from a trade inquiry has been a challenge. Um, a pilot will submit a trade inquiry and the trade desk will deny it uh, for three different reasons, three different times, and then ultimately get it approved. So it should be, uh, both from a pilot and a crew scheduler standpoint, something that you can look at and all of us come up to the same conclusion of whether the trade should be approved or not in a repeatable manner. And that's been frustrating for us to uh, get consistency from uh, crew scheduling department. Um, you know, our, our scheduling floor volunteers do a great job and, and have been successful in getting helping pilots get many trades or drops approved. Um, but you know, even they struggle at times because in order for them to fix something, they have to go through a manager on duty and they're not always available. Or we've run into where even the manager on duty doesn't quite understand the new CBA language. I think it's important for everybody to understand that crew access isn't updated to some of the changes that are in our new CBA. Uh, for example, the tri trip trading MOUs that Again, we say this a lot, only help to get trades approved. They don't ever deny a trade. They only help find another avenue to get a trade approved. Those MOUs and the parameters that we changed in CBA 2022 aren't gonna be updated in crew access. So the only way to have them actioned on is to go to the trade desk because crew access is gonna deny it because it's not updated. And the frustration um, on our end is the people at the trade desk don't even understand sometimes that the MOUs have changed. And so a couple of the things we're doing, um, the scheduling floor volunteers, myself, are meeting with the mods, the managers on duty of crew scheduling, as well as their their boss, the director of, of crew scheduling, to try to work through some of these issues and get, a, a, get the SOP for the crew schedulers updated. Again, you know, we're seven months into this thing and the fact that this stuff hasn't been done by the company yet is super frustrating, frustrating to us all. But um, we are doing everything we can to address it, including update the uh, SOP that the crew schedulers have um, and working through issues that come up as interpretations differ weekly, sometimes in that department on whether long calls are utilized to approve a trade or not. Um, we, we've seen many, many different changes um, and interpretations come through that department lately. And we're always there to uh, help course correct that and get it back on track. So one little pitch on the scheduling floor volunteers. We have 20 days a month that we can staff it per the contract. So there's 10 days that they're not there. But um, if you do call the hotline, really helpful helpful to the SFEs if you leave a voicemail 
with your PeopleSoft number, a brief description of the issue. They'll call you back as soon as they can if, if we have a shift that day. Um, that gives them time, depending on how busy they are, to look up your schedule and when you're talking to you, they can see, be looking at the issue right live with you. So it is helpful to them. Um, obviously, if you can't get a hold of a scheduling floor volunteer, we don't have a shift um, when you're calling, you can call contract compliance still. And that's another avenue to get your questions answered. I think it's important that, uh, first of all, we note that this is obviously a pilot frustration, but boy, is it a frustration for Scott and I. If we don't spend half our natural lives trying to fix this process these days and advocating everywhere from the lowest level to the highest level, pointing out the problems, documenting it, and trying to get a process established that works reliably, um, just be assured that we're, we're working on it. I think um, it's important to note, too, you mentioned that the scheduling uh, update is out and that pilots should go look at that because it deals heavily with the trade logic and it gives them a path, a flow chart to look at when they're they're trying to decide whether or not a trade should have gone through and whether they should appeal. Yeah, I think it's we put that flow chart, the scheduling committee put that flow chart together. It Like you said, it's published in the scheduling summary. To access that, you can go to goodreader or alaskapilots.org, go under the scheduling committee, and you can see uh, the latest scheduling summary. But uh, that flow chart, you know, we've shared that with the company and the crew scheduler, and our goal is for crew scheduler to look at that, and you know, you can get 80% of the trading correct just if you follow that chart. And so I want you guys out there to be familiar with it, so it helps you to understand how it works, and then, um, when you run into an issue with a trade that you think after using that flow chart should have gone through, reach out to the scheduling floor volunteer and see if we can help you get it fixed. Thanks, Scott. I know I, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing on your committee and listening to both of you and Dave today. I really feel for the frustration that you must be feeling on a semi-regular basis. Um, and Will, you too, I suppose. And, and I'll just sort of pitch it over to you as for a close as we normally do. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity, David. And yes, that is it's a, a great deal of the everyday work. And maybe I'll touch on that here shortly. Um, I usually close on talking about what's coming up, what our focus on the day to day is. And we kind of alluded to that. It's, uh, you know, not just focusing on solving problems and finding a place to improve, uh, you know, or address pilot priorities. But it's also to uh, make sure that 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 which we've negotiated and the pilot priorities that are expressed are actually delivered upon. Um, we are focusing on those implementation goals and meeting those deadlines. We had a very aggressive implementation agenda, and some of those new provisions, including uh, you know, the scheduling provisions, take tech updates. They take time and coordination uh, with IT resources that lie outside of Alaska. The important ones coming up, as we noted, are PBS and the implementation of the new reserve system. And uh, with it, as we just said, that fully programmed trade logic based on those new rules. But uh, as you heard from Scott, and I'll, I'll note, the frustrations are still out there. Um, inadequate staffing continues to deny pilots the quality of life that we bargained for in the, in the CBA. Staffing continues to impact the ability to trade and thus the quality of life. And we're also having to focus on things that, as we just said, are, are within the company's control, like consistency and how those trade requests are handled and respecting the CBA when it comes to scheduling. Um, likewise, we shouldn't have to fight crew planning over our ability to build quality trips that mitigate fatigue, enhance commutability, and meet those priorities that you said you wanted. 
the elements of that cost reference run, as we call it, were agreed to in negotiations, and they give us an ability to make your schedules better. The point is we shouldn't be fighting anyone on what is clearly spelled out in that CBA. But uh, rest assured that every time we hit one of those roadblocks, we are highlighting the issue, the people involved, and fighting to fix it. Uh, I don't want to conclude on what sounds like a negative tone. I just want pilots to know that we're continuing to advocate and fight every day to make sure that the CBA you ratified is the CBA that you're experiencing day to day. The most important thing to note is that this pilot group is still engaged. Obviously, they're paying attention and using resources like the scheduling for a volunteer and your contract compliance volunteers to ensure that we can pick up that fight when it's necessary. So stay engaged, stay informed, and stay unified because that's how we move forward effectively. It's something that this pilot group has always done that I've been very proud of, and and thank you for continuing those efforts. Okay, thank you very much, Will. And as always, I want to thank you guys for coming in and thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. Mm